All right. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Good, good, cool. Uh, I am JD. I am the uh, youth pastor here at LifePoint Church, and I just wanted to welcome you guys. If you are new here, if you could text welcome to the number on the screen here. Uh, we just want to be able to get to know you guys. Our church is very much about relationships and community and all of that. So if you could text that, we can get that started for you guys. Um, also, speaking of welcome community and all that, we're also doing a thing called a welcome party. So that's going to be on Tuesday, September 26th at 6 p.m. here at the church. Oh, whoa, that was weird. Here at the church. Uh, and the point of those is anyone who's new here, we like to just have a dinner at the church for you guys, get to talk to you, get to meet you. And then Pastor John will come in and just give like the mission and vision of the church and like what we believe so that you don't have to just like come to the church or like look online and try to guess like if this church is a right fit for you, you can just talk to John himself and like that day is specifically for that. So if you'd like to come out to that, we would love to have you guys. Um, also, we have life groups starting soon. Uh, life groups are like our small groups at the church where we get together, we talk about the messages, go through the word and apply it to our lives. And it's also just a good opportunity for us to just like, you know, hang out together as a church and be together as well. Um, so if you'd like to sign up for that, those are starting next week. So you can go online to the church website and make that happen. Uh, also, as the youth pastor, I have to plug that the youth group is starting this Wednesday. So if you are in the youth group, it is starting this Wednesday. If you didn't know, uh, and also we're going to be doing a family night. So parents, if your kids come in, please come with them. Uh, we're going to just so you guys can see what the youth group looks like. We also have some forms and it makes my life easy if all the parents are there and can pick up the forms because we can tell a bunch of teenagers to take forms home with them. They don't. They end up in the parking lot. So, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, that's it for my announcements at least. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into first uh, Samuel chapter eight here. So if you could bow your heads with me, father God, um, just thank you for today and just, uh, your word, Lord. Please help us just to be able to focus and pay attention to uh, the word you have for us today, Lord, on kings and why we sh you should be our king and not uh, have us seeking earthly kings, Lord. Uh, and yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, and through the series, we've been up to this point talking about Samuel and how he was the judge of Israel at that time. And for the most part, Samuel's been a pretty good like, leader of Israel up to this point. But the, in this story, we're going to see how Israel kind of rejects Samuel. Even though he's, he's been a good leader, they start to say they want a king instead of you know, a judge or the system that God has set up for them. They want their own version of that. Uh, and since we're talking about kings, I was trying to think of some, some good examples to talk about how they rejected you know. Uh, Samuel, but now they want this king. And so I was thinking of, uh, there's this dictatorship in a country called Turkmenistan, which you probably have never heard of, uh, or if you have, like you probably are still fuzzy about where it is on the map, but this has got to be one of the most bizarre dictatorships I have ever heard of. So this is their first leader, and his name is impossible to pronounce. It is Sapar Murat Niyazov. Um, but this country has the fourth largest oil reserves in the world, but they are incredibly poor. And I'm going to explain why that is. So this is the first dictator of this country. And what he is known for, 
uh, was he would build large gold statues of himself, his mother, and a book of poems that he had wrote. That book of poems is important, though, because uh, he would force everyone in the country to memorize it by heart. And they would actually have government officials test you on this book of poems to see if you knew it at random points. The example I found was if you went to the DMV or you were trying to get your license, after you take the whole license test, the government officials would actually be like, all right, and before you get your license, can you tell me what section 29 of page 37 of our dictator's book says? And you would have to cite it verbatim to them, otherwise you wouldn't get your license. And so this dictator wasn't like the most evil person ever, but he was just kind of weird. And so he ends up passing away, but before he passes away, he passes on the country, not to his own son, because he didn't really trust his son, he passed it off to his dentist. Like, he was not qualified. He wasn't like a politician before this. They just decided, let's do the dentist. And this guy is even weirder than the last guy. So one of the first things that I noticed that was kind of odd that he did, uh, oh, before I talk about that, his name was uh, Gurban Gully uh, Bur de Mahamadu or something. It's wild. But so they, again, they have these huge natural and oil and gas reserves in their country. And they found this pocket of natural gas. And so they decided, let's put a rig on top of that, drill it, and all that. But they built it wrong, where they built the rig right over the top of where they're extracting from. And so they dug this big hole, but then the rig fell into it. And so it, now they just have this massive gas leak and this facility stuck inside it. And so in order to fix it, the dictator decides, well, why don't we just light it on fire and then put it out later or something? Except the problem was they lit it on fire, and since it's this natural gas reserve, it's going to be burning for the next couple hundred years. And instead of actually going in and trying to fix it, this guy decided, well, what if instead I just make stock car videos and make propaganda of me drifting around it? And this, this is literally called the like, gates of hell, because it's just for, forever burning. But he literally makes videos of him just go-karting around it. Uh, he also uh, he makes music, so he has a couple songs. Uh, he also makes rap songs, and everyone in the country is required to sing and dance when they hear it. So there's some great videos online of like him singing in front of like a bunch of people, and they all have to like clap along and pretend that they love it and all this. Uh, so he does that. He also built this uh, massive casino to bring tourism to Turkmenistan, but he built the whole like casino town and all that, and then when people wanted to come, he refuses all visas to any foreigners to come in. So it's this massive casino town that nobody can go to that's always empty. And there's some great pictures of it where it's like two people hanging out in a giant pool with all these chairs that they set up. Uh, but yeah, and also he builds a bunch of gold statues of himself as well. Uh, it's like him riding a horse or something. But if you're ever bored, this is like a fraction of the stuff he does. Just look up like dictator of Turkmenistan hijinks and you'll get some great videos. But. Nobody wants to invest in this country, though, because the dictators there are just crazy. Like, why would you invest money in a country that does this and all that other stuff, right? And so they end up making their country poor because of their leaders' terrible, terrible decisions. And so I don't want to harp on this for too long because we're all Americans here, and I think we all have a firm understanding of, like, why giving one man all the power is a problem and can cause problems in society. But we're going to see how the nation of Israel decided, well, what if we just gave all the power in our country to one man, and why God and Samuel tried to tell him not to do that. 
So we're going to go to verse one here in chapter eight, which says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abiha, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the, uh, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So a couple of things right off the bat with that. So Samuel is getting old, right? He's, he's done a lot for Israel and he's been on all these wars and whatnot, but now he's just getting like too old for this, right? He's like, someone else needs to step in. Like, I can't keep doing this forever. I can't keep go fighting battles. I can't keep dealing with all these problems in Israel. And so he figures the best replacement would be his two sons, right? They've seen him lead. You know, there's probably been a little bit of mentorship. Like he showed them what he's done, but they get into the position and they just are terrible at it, right? It says they're perverting justice, taking bribes and that sort of thing. So they're not good leaders. And then the Israelites are like, well, now we want a king. And when I was reading this, I kind of thought, well, why didn't they want just another judge? Like, why don't they just say, this is obviously not a good leader for our people. Why don't we seek someone else out through God or something like that? But instead, they sought after a king. And I think the reason they went after a king was if we look back in Judges, God set up a, a government for them that was essentially a theocracy, where God was the ultimate authority. A judge would come in to like fix problems and stuff like that, but ultimately God was in charge of that country. But then they would fall apart when they started ignoring God, and then other nations would come in and invade them and all that. But the judges were there to come in and fix that and turn them back to the Lord. But then eventually, even those judges started walking away from God, where they would start out pretty good, but then they would start disobeying God and living for themselves or trying to figure out things on their own. And at the end of that cycle, it ends up with them having this massive civil war in Israel. And so there's all this stability around the government, uh, having a stable judge and all that. So when they get a judge that starts out being terrible and not serving the Lord, it probably made them feel really insecure about the future of their country. Where they're like, if we can't find a stable leader, like what's gonna happen? And so they look around at other countries and say, well, they all have kings. And that seems to work out where this one person is a centralized authority and can control everything, and it seems to work for these other countries. So why don't we try that instead? So the Israelites seek that out. But then Samuel doesn't really like this idea, and we'll, we'll see a little bit why. But we're going to go to verse 6 here. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they're doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So God points out to Samuel that they're not just rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting God. And they're rejecting God as the authority in their life and saying, we want to have a king as the authority in our life. We want this earthly king as the authority in their life. And they might not even realize what they're asking for. They're just seeing this seems like a good stable thing to do, but they're not realizing that an earthly king is fallible, right? They're not perfect. 
and they can sin, they can disappoint and make mistakes or be like the leader of Turkmenistan and do go-karts around natural disasters. Like, it's not always gonna be perfect. Sometimes kings do work out, but you just don't know. You don't know what a person's gonna decide to do in the end. And so this brings me to my first point here, uh, that earthly kings are awful. Uh, they're not great. We talked about that a little bit, but God's trying to point out, like, if you put all your trust and all your hopes into one person, one sinful person, it's not going to work out, right? And this is well Samuel tries to warn them of this in verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. I accidentally turned on my keyboard. <laughs> Some he will assign to be commanders and thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and oil groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So Samuel is trying to tell them, hey, if you take this king, like he's going to be in control of everything. right? You're essentially going to be his slaves. Right? If you have a vision for your own life, your own family, and you think certain decisions are going to be the best for you, the king might take that option away from you. Right? He's going to tell you how to work. He's going to tell you what's his. He's going to take things that you've worked hard for for himself. Right? But they don't necessarily see that yet. And I think another thing that people don't notice is God's trying to kind of protect his people from having to pay taxes to a government. Because before, it's like you had to tie to like the church and all that. But now it's like you have to tie to the church and you have to give a bunch of money and all your stuff to this king. And so he's trying to protect them a little bit from that too. And so, but they don't realize it because they're looking at this, this earthly king and thinking, this is the solution to our problem. This guy is going to create order and stability for us. This guy is going to protect us from, you know, these other nations that keep invading us, but they're not seeing the flaws of it. They're not seeing that God is ultimately the one protecting them. God, even though they're picking someone else to be the authority, God is still the ultimate authority, but they're not seeing that. They're seeing what they want to see. They're seeing a human, an earthly king that is ultimately fallible and hoping that that's the solution, Right. And the problem is we often pick earthly kings too, right? Sometimes we want to pick something in our life that will may not even realize it, but will supersede God. Where we're like, hey, I, this thing will fix my problems. This thing will be the solution I'm looking for, instead of turning to God for that actual ultimate solution. And so in verse 19, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. And so God allows Israel to have this king, even though he's told them it's a bad idea, right? And it's interesting because it says in that verse that the Israelites say that they want a king to fight their battles. 
And again, they're, they're still missing the mark, right? They're still not getting it. Because again, they're not realizing that God is ultimately in control, right? God is the one fighting their battles. They're not fighting their own battles. This king isn't technically, he will be fighting their battles, but God's going to be in control of the outcome. And if they're putting their trust in a king and not in God, it's not going to work out for them. They're only seeing the things about a king that they think is good. They're not seeing all the negatives. They're not seeing how he could be sinful, whereas God will always be perfect, right? There's a great quote from a movie that just came out called Oppenheimer. Um, It's about the guy who made the nuke back in 1940s. Uh, But in the movie, they're they're talking about, like, why they're going to build the nuke. And some people are nervous because, like, this is a weapon of mass destruction. Is this a good idea? And Oppenheimer's response to it is he says, they won't fear it until they understand it. And they won't understand it until somebody uses it. And so what he's saying there is, like, if we don't, they don't understand what this thing is. They don't understand how dangerous this thing is. But once they see it, then they'll understand why it's dangerous. It's the same thing with a king with the Israelites. They're not realizing that having a king is going to be bad for them. It's going to be dangerous for them. It's going to pull them away from God in a certain way. But they're only seeing the things they want to see about it. They're only seeing good, good things about it. And so Samuel is obviously trying to warn them from putting one earthly king as the authority in their life. And so that brings me to my second point here, which is who is your king? Right? The Israelites wanted to make a literal physical king the authority in their life. And I would imagine for a lot of us, it's not a literal person sometimes or a literal king in our life that we put above God. But what is the thing in your life that is number one? Like, what is the thing that actually sits in that spot? And ultimately, we all hope it is Jesus, right? We, I would hope it is God. But sometimes we put other things in that spot. Sometimes we put other things as number one over God himself, right? I know for me, back when I was an intern, uh, me and the old youth pastor who worked here were interns together. And I always made like dating and like marriage, like kind of like the king in my life, because I would just like pursue it. And I didn't even realize that I was putting that in front of God, where I was dating this girl back when I was an intern. And I would text her all the time and we would always hang out. I didn't think anything that bad about it. I didn't think it was that big of a deal until this guy Brad comes up to me and he's like, hey, like you're always texting this girl. You're always super distracted. You're always busy. Like you're not hanging out with your students as much as you used to. And he was pointing it out to me that I had basically made this girl the king in my life, right? I'd put her in front of the ministry that I was supposed to be doing. And so it was kind of a wake up fall for me and I had to realize that. But that's just one example, and maybe you relate to it, maybe you don't. But I think there's a lot of things that we put in that spot, right? I know for me, like, sometimes I'll see online, like, all these, like, videos from, like, there's there's this weird alpha culture going on on the internet right now for, like, dudes. It's, like, Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan are all over the place, and they're like, oh, go to the gym, like, oh, be be successful. This is how you make lots of money. This is all, all this stuff. And it's all this stuff about, like, success and being the best at what you do or, or whatever. And all these guys are, like, flocking to it. But at the same time, it's very self-serving, where it's like, oh, seek your own success. Seek your own wealth. Seek your own power and all this stuff. And it's, it's devoid of God because, ultimately, we're supposed to be seeking God's glory, right? We're supposed to be giving glory to God and not our own glory. And I think a lot of times people want that success. They want a good life or whatever, and they want other people to be impressed at what they do, but they don't realize like that's not the point. The point is that God is supposed to be in that spot. God is supposed to be the king in your life and not your own glory, right? And maybe for you, it might be like happiness or something like that. 
where I, I know a lot of people who either struggle with depression, anxiety, and all those sorts of things, but then they spend a lot of their life seeking those things and trying to fix those things and trying to feel better, that that pursuit of feeling good almost becomes the king of their, their life. They're like, I, I need to be happy. I need to be happy. And in reality, that's not necessarily what God asks of you, right? There's going to be points in your life where you're not happy, but you're serving the Lord, right? God brings us joy, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're always going to feel good. And so pursuing Christ and an eternal joy in heaven is way more important than fixing, you know, not feeling good right now. And I'm not saying, like, if you're dealing with those sorts of things, don't seek it. But don't make it the king in your life. Make sure Jesus is still the king in your life and not just seeking feeling better. Or maybe sometimes it's your career or just being busy, right? You, there's a lot of people who have a hard time, like, either in school or a job or they do all this stuff and then they just forget to make time for God, right? Whether it's reading the Bible, praying or whatever, but they're like, I'm so busy. I have to do this thing. I have to get this stuff done. And then they just kind of forget. And there was a great quote I heard from somebody where they said one time, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy, right? Like if he can't convince you to sin, he's like, well, that's not what they're distracted by. If they're not affected by these typical sins, why don't I just make them busy, right? Like focus on, oh, I have to do good in my career or I have to get this stuff done. And then now they're stuck over here being so busy, they don't actually talk to God. They're not actually seeking Christ. They're seeking their own busyness. And it's such a weird concept if you really think about it, where it's like you have time for a nine to five job and getting your chores done, but you don't have time for the king of the universe. Your own time becomes the king in your life, right? Your own stuff becomes the king in your life. And the last example I was thinking of was, uh, it might literally just be politics. And right now, politics is insane and it's crazy. But a lot of times I think we think like, oh, if I just vote for the right person, it's gonna fix all of our country's problems, right? And that's just not true. And it's not even the government that God gave the Israelites because the government he gave them was, no, I am ultimately in charge, right? It doesn't matter how you structure it. If God's not in charge, it's not going to work, right? If God's not the ultimate authority in your life, if God isn't the king in your life, why do you think the thing you made is going to work out, right? Because you're not perfect. You're fallible. And you can't see the whole picture like God can, right? And so, again, I ask, who is your king? Maybe the examples I gave, you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I relate to any of that. But like, think, like, is there something in your life that's number one? Is there something that's above God? Is there something that's taking that king spot in your life, that's king over your life that isn't God? And so that brings me to point three, which says, what does it look like when Jesus is your king? And it's a bit of a spoiler for 2 Samuel, I guess, but I really think King David is a fantastic example of what someone who makes God the king in your life, I think he's just a really good example of that, if we read Acts 13, 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so I think that last line really points out why David is essentially a man after God's own heart. Because he's like, God's literally saying, he will do everything I ask him to do, right? He's saying, David is a servant to me, Right? David may be the king of Israel. He may be the guy who's supposed to be in charge of everything and ruler over everything. But David made God his king. David saw himself as servant to God. 
And even as a king, he kind of ruled as more of a steward for Israel, where he's like, I'm going to serve the people of Israel. I'm going to live as a representation of how we are supposed to make God first, right? Whether he's the king or not, God is ultimately the head of their country, right? And I think that's why he's seen as such a good example, because he's not saying, how can God serve me? How can this this king, whatever the king in your life is, how can that thing serve me? He's saying, how can I serve God and how can I serve others? Because ultimately that's what happens with earthly kings is we're like, how can that person serve me? How can that thing serve me? How can I serve myself, right? And ultimately it's this self-serving desire where if God's not truly the king in your life and you're not serving God, you're trying to serve yourself. And I think David understood this And it's why David pursued God and pursued God as the king in his life. So, uh, which brings me to my bottom line here. Uh, Is Jesus your king, right? Is Jesus the king in your life? And I'm going to welcome up the band here uh, as I I close here. Uh, But today I really want you guys to ask yourselves that. Like, is Jesus the king in my life? Or is something else taking that spot? And if Jesus really is, like, you know what? If thinking about it, like, Jesus is the king in my life. He is the Lord of my life. Great. Please don't let the, the 20-something on stage, like, guilt you out of that. Like, seriously, if God is the king in your life, like, celebrate that and be happy about that. But maybe you're like, you, you are a Christian. You've made Jesus the king in your life. But you've realized, like, okay, something else is fighting for that spot right now. Like, something else is trying to take that place, and I haven't realized it. And... Maybe it's time today that you're just like, okay, God, I just need to apologize for that. You know, just put God back in that spot. Make God the king in your life again instead of the things that you've been using to serve yourself, right? And lastly, maybe you're not a Christian and you've never made God the king in your life. And if that's you, I, I've got a verse for you today. In Ephesians 1, 20 to 21, it says, He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus didn't just die to become king over all, to be seated at the right hand of God, but he died to take on your sins so that you could be with him in that kingdom, right? So that you wouldn't be stuck in hell, but you could be with God in heaven. And the only thing he asked for is to make you, or to make him the king in your life right? To make him the Lord of your life and ask him for that so that you can be with him in his kingdom forever. And so I would encourage you guys wherever you're at today where you're like, you know what? Jesus is king of my life. That's awesome. Or maybe you're like, hey, I need to make God the king of my life again or whatever. I would just encourage you guys pray and talk to God about that. Seek that. And yeah, otherwise that's all I got. Uh, I'm going to pray and we'll give it back to the worship band here. Father God, um, just thank you for today and your word, Lord. Uh, Please help us to really just make you the king in our life, Lord. Even if we've been distracted by other things and putting something else in that spot, God, please help it to just truly be you, Lord. Please help us just to relentlessly serve you and pursue you instead of trying to pursue ourselves, Lord. Please help us also just to have a great uh, Labor Day weekend. And yeah, in Jesus' name, amen.